podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 6, review of the Pakistan Australia Test Series, Azim Rafiq and English Cricket with Taha Hashim. So I'm lucky to have Taha Hashim with me today. Taha writes for Wisden Cricket Monthly and was recently commended for the Young Journalist of the Year award by the ECB. Taha was recently in Pakistan covering the Australia Pakistan Test Series and joins me from the UK. Thank you for joining me Taha. Uh how are you doing? Are you back in the UK? I am back in the UK. Yeah. Um I am um, it's been sort of a it's snow it was snowing today. So I I definitely Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, oh wow. Yeah. To go from uh, what 34 degrees in Karachi to uh um snow in London is um yeah it's it's been a it's been a nice welcome back yeah it's kind of interesting cuz you know I will be asking you about uh, English cricket but it's funny cuz you were just saying that you know this is probably the first series that you haven't watched England closely that's what you usually cover right yeah i mean so i, I work for you know wizen.com wizen mm-hmm. cricket monthly and we're based in the uk our offices at the oval and you know our main focus is you know the the thing we kind of talk about on a regular basis the thing we cover on is is english cricket um but yeah i've been i've been in a way i've been away in pakistan for for a month just watching that series and while england west indies was playing out in the caribbean so you know usually i'm sort of always on top of what what england are doing that's kind of yeah. day to day thing but uh yeah my attention has pretty much been in in pakistan and you know i've just been looking through the highlights the scorecards and Yeah, I mean there's a, there is a there is a nice sort of familiarity with with English cricket where you know, you, wherever you are in the world there's 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 an England collapse going on. Uh so uh I could be in a in a cab in Lahore and uh flick up a scorecard and uh, England are 27 for 3. So there's something comforting about that, I guess. Got to keep the narrative consistent, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um so you were covering the Australia Pakistan series uh, for Wisden. Um, you know, uh, I want to ask you what your experience was like, but it was kind of interesting cuz you know, a lot of the journalists that were in uh, Pakistan, you know, I saw them all over Twitter and you know, it was really interesting watching all their pictures and videos and all that stuff. You were kind of quiet and under the radar and I was like wait what Taha's in Pakistan what the hell and I I saw I think a piece you wrote on Twitter randomly so what was this uh, what was it was it a stealth mission what, what was happening Uh I think I'm just naturally quite quiet on the, <laughs> I think um actually that that me in Pakistan last month that's probably you know that's me being active on Twitter actually <laughs> Uh so yeah I just I quite like sticking to just posting my articles um I quite like to, if I'm going to say something I quite want to say something that you know uh is somewhat original so I try I try and um you know just I you know I do the odd post basically um this is not me having a go at people posting No pictures. no no I, I wasn't having a go at them yeah, either yeah. I just thought it was kind of funny <laughs> Yeah no so that's I think that's just naturally how I am but um I can rest assured I, I had a great time Okay, good, good, good. Yes, must must make sure the Pakistan tourism industry is happy with you. Yeah, so, yeah, yes, yeah. make sure it's only positive things. Um so what was the experience like? Uh, you know, I was uh you know, I wrote the questions earlier for you, but uh, I I was listening to the podcast that you're usually on, the Wisden Cricket Monthly podcast and you were talking about the fact that, you know, um uh, you were out and about talking to people and stuff. So what was uh, what was your experience uh, covering this tour? Oh, it was it was incredible. It's actually my first tour as a cricket journalist. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there's obviously the novelty of that 
Um, but look, it was just like a real delight to be to be present to watch something historic. You know, the the build up mm-hmm. to the series was funny because you know these are two really impressive sides. Um, yeah. Australia had won the Ashes uh, comfortably. Uh, Pakistan had won, I think, seven of their last eight tests. Mm-hmm. Um, but the focus was kind of understandably was on Australia visiting for the first time in the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, and to see what that meant um, across three cities in, in Ralpindi, Karachi, Lahore uh, was special because there was just this constant appreciation for a full strength Australia side, you know, making the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been said for a long time that Pakistan's a country that's been starved of international cricket for, for way too long. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it, it's a point that kind of is kind of repeated. And I, I think sometimes it's repeated so much that it might even lose its effectiveness. But when you're, when you're there and you're at the ground, um, mm-hmm. you know, you understand that this means a lot. This really does mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you sensed it with the crowd. You sensed it with the local media, uh, the mm-hmm. journalists that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were so appreciative of the people that had made the trip and, mm-hmm. and come to visit. And so it was kind of just a series that was filled with a lot of appreciation, mm-hmm. a lot of wholesomeness, uh, <laughs> yeah. two sides as well, almost an uncomfortable amount of wholesomeness where they're all constantly smiling at each other. And you, you're sort of like, guys, wake up. This is a test series. Yeah. Australia, this is Pakistan. You guys are meant to be going at each other. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was genuinely quite lovely. Um, the cricket was, you know, we'll get to it. It was attritional at times, but it was yeah, yeah. thoroughly enjoyable too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a three-match series that came all the way down to the final session of day five on the third test. So that's what you always want. And uh, we got that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was really great. And, you know, there's a part of me that wants to be back there right now uh, and for it to, to keep on going. I mean, the ODIs are still going. There's one playing out as we speak. So Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely, I'm definitely missing it. And that's not just because it's snowing here. But, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, were you able to get out and explore um, Karachi and Lahore uh, or Islamabad, etc.? Or were you mostly confined to the hotel and the press box uh, because of the security restrictions and the time constraints of, you know, having to write? Um, I'm curious uh, what the situation was uh, um, during the tour. So I actually was, um, I was staying with family. Um, that's kind of, okay. you know, I made the trip over and I was, I was kind of able to make the trip over because uh, staying with family and in in the, in the different cities um oh, so actually i spent a lot of time with my family after the game <laughs> but it was just the, the nature of also it being my first tour um i'd be so tired after the you know after the after play had ended on the day that i'd kind of find it tough to to get out and about and and do things um and also just the nature of the tour where those three tests are kind of squeezed in uh, and there's not really a gap really to kind of go out and, and explore that was so it was kind of the, the cricket was really the focus. It was hard to kind of get out and get out and about. Uh, but if I had had time, obviously, I you know I would have loved to have explored a bit more. I mean, I've spent a lot of time because of my family. I've spent a lot of time in Rawalpindi, uh, where my mum's side of the family's from, and uh, in Karachi, where my dad's side of the family's from. But I've not spent a lot of time in Lahore. It was probably the second time I've gone to Lahore, and the first time was when I was a young boy. Um, so I was really hoping to kind of get out and explore the whole more, but I only basically happened to be there for the five days of the test match. And, uh, so that, that proved difficult. Um, so that was the kind of, I guess that's the kind of one regret I have from the whole series that I, I wasn't able to go out and, and yeah, explore a bit more. 
It's funny, uh, you know, we're going to get to Usman Khwaja, who you wrote about, but it's funny, your family and his family, you know, you're claiming both Islamabad and Karachi uh, in, in this. Uh, I think he had the same thing, right? Like where one test match he's talking about where he grew up and then he's like, oh, actually, Karachi is where my family's yeah, yeah. from. So this is mine too. Yeah, yeah so. my, my homecoming tour as well just wasn't as well covered. <laughs> you both had excellent yeah, tours yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe that's the other reason you were hanging out with family that makes more sense you weren't around you know tweeting videos because you were hanging out with your uncles and aunts <laughs> yeah. and stuff so yeah I wasn't was was gonna post pictures of yeah all my extended family <laughs> now before we get to the test series uh you know i wanted to speak to you about some of the work surrounding azim rafiq and yorkshire racism story i know you were recently commended for an award by the ECB. And uh, I believe you were the first journalist Azim Rafiq opened up to about what happened to him at Yorkshire. Could you talk about that? And also, you know, some of the audience members may not know, or some of the listeners may not know much about Azim Rafiq and what the story is. So I was wondering if you could give a brief background before getting into it. I guess to show kind of what led to the story, I kind of have to talk a bit about myself. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, Is that I'm, you know, I'm uh, born in Pakistan. I've never really lived there. I kind of spent a lot of my childhood in the UK, but, um, mm-hmm. and then also kind of grew up in a few different countries, but sent, spent part of my childhood in the UK where I kind of grew to, grew to really love cricket. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, and then returned to the UK, um, from Hong Kong where I spent most of my secondary school. Fascinating. Uh, to, okay. Yeah. To, to go to university and I've been here ever since. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a British Asian, uh, and naturally growing up when I was following cricket in the UK, I was always kind of looking out for, for British Asian cricketers, the guys who were playing cat cricket, the guys who yeah. were playing for England. So, you know, mm-hmm. I would look out for Ravi Papara, I'd look out for, for Moeen Ali, for Adur Rashid. Uh, and Azim Rafiq was, um, you know, Azim Rafiq's name came up there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was England's under 19 uh, captain, he captained them in the under 19s World Cup. That same side had Ben Stokes, mm-hmm. um, Joe Root, Joss Butler, you know, England greats, guys yeah. who went on to, to win a World Cup for England. Uh, Azim himself uh, was like, you know, he came through the Yorkshire system really, you know, when he was really young, he was captaining them at mm-hmm. 21. He was Yorkshire's youngest captain. He was their first British Asian captain. And, and Yorkshire is, as a as a cricket club, had famously been one that was quite exclusionary. Um, it was wasn't until the nineties where they got rid of a rule where you didn't have to, you know, initially you had to be born in Yorkshire to play for. Yeah. Yorkshire. They eventually got rid of that rule, uh, and there's obviously a, a you know vast amounts. There's a there's a healthy Asian community mm-hmm. uh, in that part of England, and mm-hmm. so there was always this challenge of why aren't Yorkshire able to produce more Asian cricketers? And mm-hmm. and Rafiq came through with. The likes of Ashmal Shazad, who played for England, mm-hmm. uh, and Rashid, who's who's a good friend of his, and they came yeah. through that time, and they were they were they were a crop who you could Yorkshire could point to as 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 the club finally tapping into that that community. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I always followed Rafiq's career with interest. There was a there was a point where he felt you know he got released by Yorkshire in 2014. He, his bowling had fallen off, and eventually came back in 2016 and you know, made himself a really excellent white ball bowler. Uh, and then the news came through in 2018 that he'd been released by the club. Uh, and he kind of just drifted out of English cricket, out of the consciousness of English cricket. Uh, and I remember this is summer of 2020. I saw an article on the Professional Cricketers Association's website, the PCA in the UK, uh, and they'd interviewed Azim. 
uh, and he'd started his own business. He was only 30 years old, uh, started his own business. Um, seemed like he still had hopes of playing professional cricket, but he was kind of looking at life outside of it. Uh, it was like a, like a sort of a, a food business. Uh, uh, and so I got in touch with him. I wanted to interview him, see what he was up to. Uh, and so we had a wide ranging chat about what he'd been through in the last few years. And, you know, he'd had a difficult time. Uh, he'd lost, he'd lost a child. Um, he'd been released by the club. It had really hurt him. He was trying to move on with his life. Uh, he talked about the, the friendship he has with Adol Rashid, who'd, who'd been there for him. Uh, and he was so open and honest with me. Uh, and I was curious to know about his experiences coming through as British Asian um, with Yorkshire. Um, and, and, and curious at that time as well, because this is the kind of time where we start to have conversation. We were in English cricket, in society in general, this is after yeah. George Floyd's murder, and we're all talking mm. about this thing. Uh, mm. So I was just interested to know about his experiences. And he was really open with me. Um, you know, he talked about his experiences in, in the in dressing rooms. I think he said, you know, things that things were said and and that he should have stopped it. Um, he talked about having an openly racist captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about an incident um, where, you know, he's walking out on the field with Shazad, Rashid, Ran, and Navid, who played for Pakistan, was an overseas player with Yorkshire, and a and a player, you know, said there's too many of you lot. We need to have a word about that. He relayed that story right there in that interview. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I published that interview. I spoke to Azim. I interviewed, I wrote the piece up, published it. Um, uh, Yorkshire offered no comment when we went to them with this. Uh, but it was only kind of a few weeks later when Crick Info then interviewed Azim. Mm-hmm. And kind of the story built up because Azim had spoken to another podcast after he spoke to me. Uh, yeah, the Cricket Badger podcast, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. The Cricket Badger podcast. And he, slowly, slowly, he was kind of opening up. And eventually he spoke to Crick Info and revealed that he'd basically been on the brink of suicide during his time at Yorkshire. And so that's when the story kind of took mm-hmm. hold. An investigation was opened up. And then you go, you, it takes a long, long time. We go, you know, more than a year later, um, the story goes to another level um, where, you know, it's it's front page news and, you mm-hmm. know, Yorkshire... Yorkshire, you know, with their investigation, are forced to admit that you know Azim was as was a victim of racial harassment and and bullying, and um, eventually we get to a situation where he sat there mid November in front of MPs, and he mm. finally has the opportunity to kind of pour his heart out and talk about his experiences, uh, and it's led to. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it's led to. Um, yeah, you know that's that's the thing. It's you hope now that that the the game changes and and recognizes the issue we have. Um, but yeah, it's been a. It's been. It's kind of. It's, I guess it's been kind of crazy to to witness what's happened in the in the, in the last couple of years um, mm-hmm. and to see uh, and to see where that that story has kind of gone to. Really. Yeah. First of all, you know. That was amazing work, and uh, I'm so happy you you went to speak to him, and because that kind of opened the can of worms that you know eventually led to what still is a uh, clusterfuck at Yorkshire, <laughs> to not be rude, uh, and uh, and there's you know you say that you know you're not sure 
what it's led to exactly. You know, I know there's been so many other cricketers who have come out, um, not just, you know, Asian cricketers, uh, cricket of um, Afro-Caribbean descent as well, um, across the UK, um, you know, in Scotland as well. Um, I'm curious, you know, where is ECB on this? Uh, do you think some counties are dealing with it better than others? Where are different counties? How are different counties dealing with it? And how is the ECB dealing with it, I guess? Yeah, it's an interesting one trying to talk about the impact. Um, mm-hmm. what's, how many months has it been? It's been five months, I guess, since mm-hmm. Azim was sat there and spoke. And it was kind of one of those moments where you think there's no going back. Um, yeah. You know, English cricket is now going to change. It's going to change for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, the ECB, like in the immediate aftermath, have this 12-point action plan. Mm-hmm. They're going to tackle racism. And so in the immediate aftermath, you hear all this noise about wanting to make the game a more diverse and, and inclusive one. And the thing is now we do kind of have to wait and see if that noise turns into something substantial and that we see mm-hmm. a greater representation of, of British Asian cricketers at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Because the stat that has always gone around is that, you know, you have a over here, you have a, a third of, um, you know, cricketers at the recreational level of, of an Asian scent. And then when you get to the mm-hmm. professional level, I mean, that number drops down significantly. It's yeah. not representing what's, mm-hmm. what's happening at the grassroots level. And so that kind of takes time to, to see that, see that happen. Um, you, you want to see if greater representations there at kind of the levels of administration, um, mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, you have to, it's hard to see, but then you also have to try and see if, dressing room cultures change and whether they do mm. change. And I guess the only thing you kind of hope for uh, is that like in a, in 10 years, you don't, you don't see another story like Azim Rafiq's. That's, I mean, I think that's what he's spoken as well, that he doesn't want to see it, someone like him in, in 10, 20 years. And, and that's with the same thing happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, while I'm saying this and, and saying that we need to give it time, it's frustrating to say that because the people running the game have had, a lot of time to try and make this change. This has been, you know, this has been there for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose if, you know, this is a new chapter, then we'll have to see if things change. It, it's hard for me to kind of uh, pinpoint exactly how different counties are dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew that the ins and outs of what every county mm-hmm. is doing to kind of make change. For sure. Um, but, you know, the ECB have, will make the right noises. Um, have made the right noises, I guess, but you know, it's so hard to, it's so hard to know and, you know, judge and, and also you don't want to be unfair and saying, well, oh, they're just saying that they're not doing anything and that kind of thing. And you want to give people a chance and, and hope that they actually make the changes. True. But yeah, I, I don't know. (laughs) is my answer. It's been a few months and we need to give it time, I guess. And I just hope that what my instinct was in last November was surely, surely things change from here. Mm. Um, and I hope my instinct is right. That's basically, that's basically it. Yeah. And maybe in a couple of years, uh, you know, if I'm still doing this podcast, maybe I can catch up with you and people like George Dobell and see, uh, you know, where things are at. Um, getting to the test series, what did you make, uh, you know, of the cricket? Do you think uh, the best team won? Uh, did the, batter friendly pitches quote unquote ruined the spectacle for you um so it was kind of i think a lot of things worked out with the series the one thing was from a personal perspective 
that the worst pitch was that, which was the Royal Pindy one. Yeah. Um, that was the first test because, be, because I was so lost in the occasion, it took me like the end of day three to look at the scorecard and realize, wow, this is a terrible, terrible. <laughs> because I was having such a good time because of what, you know, I was like, I'm out here in Rob and watching test cricket. Yeah. The crowd's amazing. True. And I was like, ah, oh, like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to celebrate here. And then I'm kind of writing something at the end of day three. And it's, I was like, Oh my God, this is horrible, horrible. Day. <laughs> it's just, yeah. This is terrible. This is not an even contest between bat and ball, which is what no. you need. Yeah. Um, and so that was good in a way. And then look, the, the kind of, I don't, you know, I wouldn't say the pitches were brilliant at Karachi and Lahore, um, mm-hmm. but what did come into play there was reverse swing, uh, which just wasn't a thing in Ralph Bindi, uh, mm-hmm. probably because the square was maybe, I don't know, you know, it was, it was probably a bit more lush. And, and so the ball didn't really get in a condition for reversing. Yeah. But the series was also, also really fortunate that you had bowlers of real high pace who could then exploit that reverse swing. So you had Cummins, you had Stark, who were just, you know, different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Shaheen and Nassim. And so if you had, like, fast bowlers who, I mean, not really fast bowlers, if you had, like, guys who were operating in the low 80s, you know, miles per hour bracket, mm-hmm. uh, then I think the series could have been, like, a really difficult <laughs> one. Really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, put aside Ralph Bindi, which felt like a warm-up, which felt like, okay, Australia, you're in the series now. Pakistan, you're in the series now. And then you had Karachi, which was first two days, oh my God, like really, really like tough watch, tough watch. <laughs> but then you had three days, which were, you know, you, it was excellent. Basically you had, um, mm-hmm. you had the kind of Australia kind of blowing through Pakistan with reverse swing. And then mm-hmm. it's like game on, can Australia take advantage here and win this? And you had mm-hmm. a brilliant test match, a great rear guard. Mm-hmm. And then Lahore, uh, again, there was kind of like a, I mean, it was quite, it was, it was, you know, Pakistan bowled really well that first day, actually. Uh, and mm-hmm. those first couple of days were good. And then again, you had a bit like, oh, where is this test match kind of going? And then bang, the Australians come in, they clean up with reverse and you're like, yes, test match on. Yeah. Uh, and so those, those two test matches were, were thoroughly enjoyable and I think it's a credit, the pitches weren't great, but it's a credit to the players that were there um, that you were kind of able to continue mm-hmm. a spectacle from from it all. Uh, mm-hmm. And in, in regards to, did the best team win? Yeah, Australia, yeah. Australia were the best team and they deserve to win. Uh, and I was so impressed by them um, because they they were so disciplined throughout. And I think it can kind of be easy to, even with 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 great batting conditions, it can be easy to kind of, you know, I guess you know play you know, you know try you know play some loose shots basically, and suddenly mm-hmm. you've collapsed. You're like you're done like that. And then those Pakistan bowlers, there's enough quality there to exploit it, and you know conjure mm-hmm. a collapse. But Australia just didn't let that happen. They mm-hmm. batted for they batted for two days uh, in Karachi, and then still came out first session of day three and Cummins mm-hmm. came in and he was, you know, Stark was out in the first over, but Cummins was still batting. He had Swift yeah. batting with him and they just kept going. Cummins hits a few sixes, walks mm-hmm. off the players and it's like, all right, he's here for the grind. He's not going to like, he's not going to, he wasn't going to just declare, you know, with this much on the board. He wanted more. He wanted more. Yeah. Uh, and he just seemed to have his game plan there. Uh, and they were just, 
the way they kind of adapted from the tempo of playing in the ashes where everything was quick fire, wickets are constantly falling mm-hmm. um, to come to Pakistan and be ready to just toil and mm-hmm. suffer in the heat. Um, yeah. Really impressive. And they were, they were the best team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, you kind of answered my next question, which was, you know, watching the ashes closely as you did. And I, I watch a lot of it too. Um, it was hard to tell how good this Australia was because, you know, they're playing in home conditions and they usually beat everyone in home conditions and England were so poor that it was hard to know how good they were. Um, do you think this sort of confirms those people who were saying this is a really good team and it is becoming a lot better than maybe it's, it's built in the last few years and is, uh, you know, maybe reaching its peak perhaps. Yeah. I, I think they're a very good side. Um, and like I said, you know, what impressed me so much was that they adjusted to that tempo really well. Um, it's still hard to, it's still a hard side to gauge in a way. I mean, I don't think that the best, I think it's, I don't think they're the best test side in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, they they are in terms of the rankings, but just because the fact that this was their first away series since the 2019 Ashes. Good point. Yeah, and like you kind of need to see a bit more of them. Um, you know, um, when they go to Sri Lanka next, spin is definitely going to play a bigger role than it did in this series. And they have better spinners than us too. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, I mean it was it was a weird series this one for spin. Like it just didn't just didn't play a role until the until the last day when Lyon took Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Pakistan it was weird seeing a Pakistan side without like a like a, a spinner to run through another one because for for a long time you had as for I mean for since I've been closely following Pakistan cricket, you had Saeed Ajmal mm-hmm. uh in Misbah side, then you had Yasser Shah for so mm-hmm. many years and there was there was always like one guy you can kind of rely on to do the business and and it just wasn't there this series. Um, so yeah, that, 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 so yeah, Australia still have that spin challenge that they need to deal with, um, which wasn't really tested in the series because this series ended up being about the quicks and, and mm-hmm. reverse swing uh, and spin just wasn't, there was never any jeopardy when spin was on that, that mm-hmm. was the kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they're an interesting side because there's, there's a good balance of experience and youth, really. Um, you've got Kawaja, Warner, Smith, all in their 30s uh, in mm-hmm. that top six. Then you, then you have Head, Green, and Labuschagne. Um, And then you've got the fast bowlers who they have just, they've got fast bowlers who are in the 11, and then they have the fast bowlers who are on the sidelines who are incredible. I mean, Josh Hazelwood yeah. is on the bench. Yeah, that's insane. You know, like, yeah. that is, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, and they're all kind of, I mean, Cummins is definitely at his kind of peak, you know, you know, it's, yeah. The, the only thing they, the only question mark they kind of left that series with series was with their second spinner. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to play a role in the subcontinent. And that's, and Swepson, Swepson, weird one, because as a leg spinner, you've got a, you've got to kind of be a lot more patient uh, mm-hmm. kind of give them time and recognize that they're not going to bowl the perfect balls. Um, but then you look for what their best delivery is and, and how potent their leg break is. Mm-hmm. And at times he showed, times he showed that the leg break was, was there. Um, but there just wasn't that kind of constant pressure. There was, 
there were times where he really struggled. Uh, there was, you know, the start of day five in Karachi. He just kept, just couldn't find his legs. But a lot of full tosses. Yeah. 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 And then the second session, he bowled some beautiful deliveries. I mean, he really looked like he was going to get Barber out. He was really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then again, in the third session, he kind of, he kind of lost that pressure. And so that's the question mark for Australia. If they can just get that second spinner, but they have a lot going for them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, it's a really thing. It's a really weird thing to like nitpick on. Basically, I am just nitpicking it. But they're a good side, and I was really impressed by them. And Cummins, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, I just doesn't seem like he can do anything wrong. <laughs> he's, he's basically. I was just looking at stats um, before we came on. Because uh, it's kind of this a thought I had is like, has he ever had a bad series in Test cricket? And he has averaged more than thirty. He's the the most he's averaged in the Test series, I think, with the ball is thirty one or thirty two. And he's only in two. He's only averaged more than thirty with the ball in two Test series, and he's played forty one Tests. So yeah. Oh, sorry. I got the number. I actually wrote it down. It's thirty-two point one two is the most he's average with the ball, which is not bad at all. Actually, it's not bad at all. <laughs> but the point stands that this this guy is incapable of having a bad test series, and now he is just golden as a captain. Uh, hasn't you know? Hasn't lost a test as captain yet. <laughs> um, and just yeah, I mean, he was he was the you know I kind of went into this test series and if you were going to give me two quicks who are up there as, as the best in the world in test cricket, I'd say boom, Ryan Cummins. Uh, yeah. And I would say after watching this test series, obviously recency bias is going to be a big player. <laughs> uh, but I, I just couldn't, I just looked at Cummins, watched him bowl for three tests and thought there isn't a best, better test bowler in the world. There really no. isn't. He's just what he can do on, on a flat track, with kind of the basics, which is just to plug away with accuracy. But then he also has the capable uh, capability to bowl magic balls and magic deliveries and, mm-hmm. and bowl a reverse swinging Yorker at a stupid pace. Um, yeah. And you think there's, there's, there's nothing this guy can't do. There really nothing. Is. Uh, so he is, you look at him and you think Australian cricket, the Australian men's test side is, is healthy while yeah. Pat is in charge. Obviously this honeymoon, you know, it won't last. And surely, I mean, you know, if it doesn't, wow. Uh, if it doesn't stop, then wow, yeah. But right now, it's it's looking good, and they look, they look, yeah, they look, they look good, Australia. Yeah, I'm curious how they'll go in Sri Lanka. You know, as you say that, um, you know, the, first of all, they didn't play against the best spinners uh, in the world, and not super friendly, a uh, super spin friendly track so that'll be interesting um and uh, just a quick thing on pakistani spinners uh, you know you're talking about the amazing spinners i think our second and third string spinners at the time would be our best spinners now we had so much depth as well as having you know guys like saeed ajmal and yasir shah like abdur rahman would easily be our best spinner right now you know like there's so many yeah yeah it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's really depressing looking at our spin at the moment um i we talked you talked about usman um Khawaja a little bit already uh you know i felt for a long time and uh I'm really happy that I have Ricky Ponting to back me up. Uh, who's, I think has been saying it for a while that Usman Khwaja has, I think, been one of the best batsmen, Australian batsmen of of his generation. I think, of course, he you know he's had ups and downs, but do you think the issue is that he's finally fulfilling his potential, that he's mature and in, in, a, in the right headspace, or do you think? And this is kind of my position that 
he was unfairly dropped after carrying the Aussie batting when Smith and Warner were banned. I think it was, uh, I think it was Labuschagne came in for Smith during the Ashes and obviously mm-hmm. did so well while Smith was out concussed. And when Smith came back in, they had to leave one out. And so that's, that's where they had to drop Kawaja. Um, he's an interesting one. I've always been fascinated by him. Uh, like like I said at the start of the show, uh, growing up, you know, I was looking at the, the British Asian cricketers. And so in Australia, there was Kawaja and there is just Kawaja, you know, in terms of in, in <clears throat> growing up, that was, he was, you know, he was the, he was the guy. Um, and so I was always fascinated by him, was always following his career, seeing what he was up to. Uh, and it's been such a, it's been an odd international career. It really has. I mean, it's now, it's more than a decade since he made his debut. He's not played as much test cricket as you thought he would have when he, when he did make his debut. Um, but he has such an excellent record. The thing about him being dropped a couple of years ago is I almost wonder, looking at the way he batted and the way he batted in this series and the way he batted in the Ashes when he came back, is that he just seems a man who's at ease with himself as a batter, as in he's 35. He's played, he's played in different countries, played in different conditions, and he knows his, his game inside out. Um, but he also bats as if he's a man also who's very content with himself and where he is in his life. And he's talked about, you know, having, he's got his wife, he's got a kid. And, you know, when players, players talk about that a lot, when they, you know, they have family and they're like, well, we've got perspective now. And he seems like a guy who has a lot of perspective. And so he kind of just seems like he's enjoying himself in that every time he walked out of the crease in this series, he was just, there was just, there was just comfort there. There was no stress. Obviously it helps when the, the pitch is doing nothing and the new ball is, you know, you can set yourself for the new ball and the, the, the more difficult, tricky part of batting will come when the ball's reverse swinging. And so every time here, he would kind of get himself against the new ball and then reverse swing would come and he'd negate that and he'd be careful against spin. He'd played spin off the back foot really well, I noticed, and then he would sweep really well. Uh, and he just had everything. He had a he had a game plan. You could see it. Everything was fine. Everything was working. And I almost wonder if being dropped, being out for two years, is was kind of you could look at you could look at it two ways. You could think, oh, where has he been? Australia should be using two years. But you could also look at maybe this two years was good for Smart Quadra. Maybe he kind of needed that time out, uh, and maybe he's come back with a new perspective. And this is just me speculating you know yeah yeah yeah. Only yeah you'll be able to tell us whether whether he feels the same way but the impression i get is that maybe this being out for two years gaining that perspective recognizing that you know if i don't play cricket, test cricket again that's okay mm-hmm. as has led to to what we're seeing now who is a guy who like you're saying i think is finally kind of fulfilling his potential he's a guy who should be averaging in the in the high 40s in test cricket because uh, he's such an exceptional Batter, a lovely batter to watch. Lovely guy. Interesting in that he kind of, he will kind of, his front foot doesn't like, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's kind of, it's kind of half-hearted in a way. And yet there's so much control there. Uh, and so you almost think, oh, he'll, he'll kind of struggle against even like a, a tossed up off break that's kind of there. And, but he'll get the sweep out, kind of get back enough and, and, and play it off the stumps. Uh, and so it's it's been a, it's been, it was really enjoyable watching someone bat like that because there's something comforting of, of of watching someone who just is at complete ease and you just know what you're going to get with them. 
Uh, and obviously the romance of it all, the country he's born in, you know, it was, it was when he got out from 97 in Ralbindi, uh, and he's born in Islamabad. So just, you know, just down the road, uh, it was a shame, but I also thought there's absolutely no way he's not scoring a hundred on this because he just looks so good. He just looked comfortable. He was enjoying, he was playing his shots as well. He was played some, he played like an uppercut, uh, early on in his innings in Ralpindi, just made some room and just, you know, went at it. Um, and it was just like, wow, this is like, that's, that's the kind of shot you play when you're just happy to, you're just like, you know, you've taken the pressure off yourself and you're just going to enjoy yourself. Uh, so it's nice to, yeah, <laughs> essentially it's just nice to see a guy kind of, I don't know, it, for, for some, nice to watch it click for someone. Yeah. And I'm I, maybe it's, you know, you were talking about being South Asian and, and following South Asian careers. Maybe it's my bias of being, you know, the same thing that I'm, I've been following him the same way you have. And I, I, I get very annoyed when he gets dropped. <laughs> like, it is also just, I just actually just think he's a brilliant cricketer. You know, I, I don't yeah. wish Australian cricket well, but I also just, I think it's also that I, I think that um, he is uh, technically after those three big uh, you know, Warner, Smith, and Labuschagne, probably the fourth best uh, batsman as well. But it's also bias. Um, now, getting to the Pakistan squad, uh, I'm curious what you make of them. Uh, do, you, do you have a better gauge of them now in the series, or is it hard to tell where they're at? Yeah, this, this is a tough one in that, look, I mean, the Shafiq, Abdullah Shafiq was the find, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, he was, um, I, this was the first time I was kind of watching him up, up close and just seen that he'd done well on his on his debut and that he had an incredible first-class record and barely played any first-class cricket. Uh, and so I saw that he'd done well. And so to, to, to watch him was, uh, get a good glimpse of him was was nice because there is a, there's a serious player there in that he, there's nothing too flashy about him. It's a very solid, upright stance for a right-hander. Um, shows a very straight bat. Uh, it was hard to tell if he's, you know, completely solid against the new ball in the series because the new ball wasn't really a, uh, the you know new ball times with the new ball weren't anything. You know, there wasn't any treachery, there wasn't any real danger. Um, but what what impressed me most is, is most, especially when watching him Karachi, was just like his his ability to like you know bog himself down away, like sort of defend, 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 and then pick the moment to kind of just explode. Like he'd play some beautiful shots against spin where he'd just been blocking and blocking for a while. And it was like, where did that come from? Where did that six come from? You know, down the, down the ground off Nathan Lyon or, you know, inside out cover drive off Swepson. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful shot. Uh, and it was one of those things where you, know, you just like, oh, he, it's a nice sound off the bat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things where like, he, you know, he gets a nice sound off the bat. And one of those kind of, really basic things that probably doesn't mean anything, but in, in your head, it, it stays with you. Yeah. Uh, so he was great find. Uh, Imam Mohawk, uh, you know, a couple of tons in Ralpindi. Uh, obviously, Ralpindi was kind of like a, <laughs> there's always going to be like a little <laughs> asterisk next to it, especially with the, the second hundred. And Shafiq's hundred too came against, you know, just came against part-time bowling. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, so it's hard to read into that. But, you know, it's had a good series. Um and you know, Pakistan's batters in general had a good series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fawad Alam was the only one who like really struggled, and he he you know he'd come in against the reverse swinging ball and full ball, and he just looked in all sorts of trouble. And obviously, that mm-hmm. invited a lot of questions over his stance, 
which I must say, watching in the flesh is just incredible. <laughs> because kind of watching on TV, I've always seen it as quite just an open stance where he's kind of facing you. Um, but in fact, he's actually kind of at an angle where his kind of, you know, if he turns his head, he's basically lining up for someone running in from fine leg. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a remarkable thing to watch. And yeah, uh, the, the, the questions questions were asked about that stance when um, the ball was tailing into him at, at 90 miles an hour. Um, but yeah, the batters had a good series. The bowlers, Shaheen, Shaheen Naseem, Shaheen's still, I feel like he's finding his way at Test Cricket. 100%. He's just explosive in white ball cricket, but I think he's still kind of getting to grips with Test Cricket. The ability to maintain your pace over a day, to keep coming back for spells. Um, yeah. And then Naseem we saw in that third test, I thought he was excellent. Kept his pace throughout the whole day. I think I thought he outballed Shaheen. Um, but Hassan Ali struggled. Um, and yeah, they. I mean, it's it's hard to be too critical critical of a bowling attack on on those pitches. Um, but yeah, Australia still kind of outballed them. They still have that. It almost feels like Nasim and Shaheen. They're, you know, they're still they're still you know they're still so young. Where then you think of the Australians, where they had Stark and Cummins, who are guys who have like played so much Test cricket now that they have that experience. They have just that extra something that maybe we can't even describe, but they have something else, which comes from playing over time and time. And those young quicks, they're still getting there. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was. That's a. I'm glad you 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 compared them in that way because actually in my view one way thinking about the two attacks is that Pakistan has a lot of very young talented bowlers but as an attack they're all young and talented whereas if they were in Australian squad they would be one or two of them would be coming in alongside more experienced squad, uh, players right yeah. and whereas what we're asking them is a collection of very young inexperienced even Hassan Ali even if he's not super young he's inexperienced in test level and he's also just in bat form right now um, and that we're asking them to all basically compete with guys who've been doing it for years and years. And yeah. I, I don't, I think that's the part that talented bowlers don't make a complete yeah. or ready test bowling unit. Yeah. And this is always the worry with Pakistan in that they have the fast bowler at a young age who is just so much better than the fast bowlers at, at the same age in other countries. Mm -hmm. But can they, will they still be there in their late twenties? Will they still be there in the early thirties? And that's what you have to live with. When you're watching Pakistan cricket, because you you don't know there there are no guarantees when it comes to these guys. Um, who I think someone brought up the stat the other day. I think Hassan Chima about the 200 wickets. How many? How few fast bowlers have got 200 wickets? That Something one? like that, right? And you yeah, know, Pakistan just haven't had haven't had a quick take 200 wickets this century. I think Test wickets this century. Um, and that's the thing. You just yeah. you hope that. There is a stage where you see a Nassim and Shaheen, late 20s, early 30s, still doing it and still yeah. be at that pace. And you just don't know. Australia are able to do that. Can Pakistan do it? That's the thing. Yeah, I think Usman Samyuddin made a joke about that stat. So Pakistani fast are here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think what they need is also somebody like I. I don't think we should completely get rid of uh, Abbas. I think we need to. We oh. need also need. We also need somebody who can control. You know, the yeah. run rate. Like you can't just have like wicket takers. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the thing. When they when they came to England a couple of years ago, they had Abbas, Nasim, Shaheen, and you just looked at that and you're like, that's a really nice, well-rounded attack because exactly. you have kind of the 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 guy who's you know a bit older is a completely different type of bowler to the other two, and that like, he's. Mm-hmm. Landing like accurate, you know exactly what you get. Not very quick, very English style bowler, really. Abbas is brilliant in county cricket, and then you have the two kind of explosive quicks. Um, but that series, are kind of, I mean, they could have, they really should have won that first test at Old Trafford, and the rest was kind of ruined by rain and bad luck. Um, but yeah, I at that stage it looked like a, and that was, you always think Shaheen was just, you know, maybe if you bring a twenty twenty two Shaheen into that series, you know what I mean. Then, that would make a big difference, yeah. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So, yeah. And I think uh, Fahim Ashraf as well, I think we needed him for the third test as well. Him and Abbas, yeah. I think, bring control and then you can have the attacking bowlers. Yeah, uh, I mean, the they... It was, a, it, was a, it was a good call to bring Nassim back for that third test, 100%. Exactly. But, um, yeah, to, at the expense of the all-rounder was bold, really bold. I could not believe um, it, honestly. <laughs> having Sajid Khan coming at seven, it's just like, man. And, like, yeah, Fahim is... Um, I would have liked to watch more of him because mm-hmm. um, an all-rounder at test level, you see it with, you know, Cameron Green, by the way, coming in for Australia. That's a, so, that's a game changer. That really 100%. is. He is, he is, I was really impressed by him watching him in the series close up. Um, and an all-rounder just changes things so much for test side. England, when Ben Stokes is out, all over the place with what to do, how to pick their side, whatever. The yeah. balance just completely goes, right? Yeah, like it's off kilter. Yeah. And yeah, all-rounder just, just makes your life so much easier, yeah. And I like this, uh, and it's, it's something that Osman tweets very regularly, but I think it's apt, which is that I don't think there's been one test that I can think of that Fahim hasn't produced with either bat or ball. And usually it's a bit of both. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I, he should never be dropped unless he's in the <laughs> uh, Um I think we've talked about Shafiq. And so uh, I was kind of curious about if you could talk about Nassim Shah a little bit more. You know, I think that, you know, he came in with a bang and then, had uh you know a bit of a dip i think he, his his um his pace went down and i think when he was in england he wasn't in his best form and this is the nasim that we remember how you know what did you think about him watching him in the flesh i think his action is one of my favorites i mean it's just poetry i think yeah it's just so smooth isn't it um i think the one thing that stood out to me was just like that when when we got to lahore for that third test and you know within the first few deliveries with the new ball you saw with Shaheen, like the there was no carry, nothing. I mean, the, there was a ball that went on and bounced to Mohamed Rizwan. Yeah. And you're like, as a fast bowler, I kind of wonder, you look at that and you think, especially after playing Raul Bindi, Garachi, and you're thinking, man, I'm like, again, like, like, like this is going to be so hard work, so hard work. Nassim obviously had had like a test off uh, in Karachi, didn't play Karachi. Uh, and so mm-hmm. he came in and the, the thing that stood out was just like kind of like the simple thing about the heart he showed into like just keep on running in bowl as quick as you can um but also um his ability to control reverse swing mm-hmm. uh yeah it was the, i think it was just the, the the thing that came back was just his constant like constantly running in bowling at the pace he was bowling which was serious pace um and get and getting the ball to move. I mean, the dismissal of Cameron Green 
uh, was, yeah, exhilarating to watch. Uh, I think they showed it quite a few times as well, the kind of the setup that he had where he was getting the ball to Taylor and getting the ball to Taylor. And mm. he was just struggling to find the right line where the ball yeah. could come in and just smash off stump and eventually found it and Green had no answer. Uh, and so it was great to watch. Uh, you know, I still, obviously, Raul Pindi was like, obviously, I've eliminated Raul Pindi from my mind. Uh, <laughs> the I'm sure he has too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think if you look at Nassim's record right now, it's still not a, like the numbers don't stack up very well. No. But he's someone, you know, he's, from day one, he's been someone that you kind of be patient with. I mean, it was almost, in early on, it almost felt like, no, this is a bit too, like they've thrown him in too quickly. And he's mm-hmm. still obviously learning, like for sure. 19 years old. I mean, you know, he's still got so much left to still develop. I mean, Shaheen is still developing and he's a couple of years older. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna take time. And there I think there are gonna be times where he's gonna be out the side and just watching on. And I think it'll be a while till he like becomes one of like a key component of that attack, basically, you know. Um but it's someone, someone to definitely be excited about, 100%. Uh, and like I've said, like we said before, you just yeah. hope <laughs> in a few years we're still talking about him That because you just never know. You never know what happens, especially with the, the proper quicks. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's never guarantees. In England a couple of years ago, all we're talking about was Joffre Archer. Yeah, that's such a shame with not his injuries. Not seen him for a year. Not seen him for a year. And you just never know with the quicks. And all you do is you can, all you can do is cross your fingers and hope, hope for the best, hope that they mm-hmm. come out okay, and hope that they, their body develops and they're they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Cummins uh, so much that at the start he didn't play test, he played his made his debut, didn't play test cricket for more than five years, injuries, all kinds of stuff, developing, making sure your body's right. Then came back and delivered. Um, so you have to, you get excited. But you have to be patient. You have to hope for the best and just see what happens. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, one just the thing on Nassim, the one thing that you're talking about, the pace and the consistency, that I think that's one of the things that I remember it has been an issue with a lot of young fast bowlers is that because they have the magic ball in them and they know they can have the magic ball, they try it too often and that's where they get hit, right? Like, mm-hmm. And one thing that I liked about Nassim in that test was that he was hitting, he wasn't finding, you were saying the right line sometimes, but in general, he was trying the same thing consistently. And I'm glad that when he didn't get too frustrated and when he wasn't getting wicked and he just kept with it, because I think that shows... Mm-hmm. Uh, the maturity hopefully that he's getting but you're right like we need to be patient uh, you mentioned Jofra, so uh you know before i let you leave i wanted to i can't resist asking uh you know asking you about the england team and uh how badly they're doing and not that i'm gloating or anything uh you say that with a huge smile <laughs> no no the video will not be posted so there's no <laughs> evidence of this uh, uh you know what do you make uh of their loss against the west indies and uh in particular you know you weren't watching it you know we were talking about yeah. narrative consistency with their um the question i guess i have in particular is to do with roots captaincy i mean i don't think anybody would argue that he's an amazing tactical captain which is not to say that he's not an intelligent cricketer um I just don't see an obvious replacement just because you don't know who actually fits in the squad. And, you know, the other people that I've heard mentioned, aside from the left wheel wacky ones, like uh, what's his name from Kent. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, but he's not even, he's nowhere near that. I don't even know where that's come from yeah. uh, or even Vince, but uh, you know, Stokes, you know, he's just come back from injury and yeah. now they want to make a captain broad, literally got dropped. You know, like I, I'm 
I'm I'm confused by this captaincy debate. What, where do you stand on this? I can assure you that I'm not going to offer you much more clarity. Um, <laughs> the, the the way you've expressed that, you know, suggests the sort of the confusion that is there. I mean, you know, it's it's weird. You know, like like we talked about at the start, um, it's the least attention I've paid to an England series in years because I'm yeah. Pakistan. Uh, I wasn't going to watch another day's play of Test cricket after I'd finished watching one day. <laughs> uh, man, I mean. For Root now, it really does kind of feel like, you know, the Ashes, you know, there was a lot of speculation during the Ashes and after it, whether oh, Root stays on, but he stayed on for the, the Caribbean. And you think if he, you know, ekes out a 1-0 series win there, then, okay, he stays on. And But, man, there's just so much uncertainty. And this is not just with the captaincy. I mean, above it, there's no mm-hmm. head coach right now, permanent head coach. They're looking for a new director of cricket. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much other stuff that has to go on and then you also have to put you know sit talk about whether this test side goes in a direction with a new captain mm-hmm. um i can't speak about the caribbean but i can say that you know england didn't lose the ashes because of joe root's captaincy i mean yeah. he didn't he didn't you know he didn't he didn't impress that many people with his captaincy um mm-hmm. and i always find it really hard to talk about captaincy because yeah. like I'm no, I'm no expert on field placings. <laughs> I write about cricketers. I can talk about cricketers and talk their stories, but I'm not going to come here and say I'm, I'm you know, more of a tax, tactical, you know, mastermind than Joe Rue. I, yeah. I, really, I don't really know. I'm, you know, um, and and the other side of captaincy is also the way they kind of conduct themselves in the dressing room and lead themselves there. And so you don't mm-hmm. really ever know what's happening there. And so it's very hard to even say, oh, this guy's going to be a, a better captain than Joe Rue. This guy's going to do the job. And so I don't like really based know. on what? Yeah, what yeah. information is that based on? Yeah, this is my smart way of staying on the fence and saying, if you hadn't mentioned it, you'd fooled me completely. I didn't even realize <laughs> that's what you're doing. That was brilliantly done, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a total mess, isn't it, when it comes to England? I'd like, I don't even, you know, there's this constant effort to diagnose what is wrong with England's mess test side. And there are so many theories. And I'm sure I've, I've backed. I've backed a number of theories at different times and thought, ah, oh, it's county <laughs> cricket and it's the pitches. And then I'll go to, no, it's just the the techniques of England's batters or or maybe they're not even picking the right players. Or mm-hmm. you know, God, like I, I will constantly at night, I will go through all the kinds of things and think, could I even put this on a piece of paper, what it would look like? And it would just be just, a, you know, random and words and just, just a complete mess. And I would just look, like you know what's up with this guy he's completely lost his mind so i i I don't even know where to start when it comes to talking about england um who could replace root (laughs) (laughs) i don't know um stoke yeah i mean stokes is the only kind of stokes is the only candidate you can kind of talk about without someone going like what is kind of wrong with you but um yeah even then who knows i mean he kind of said at the start of the west indies series or maybe the start of this year that he didn't have the ambition um, mm-hmm. to, to take on the job. <sighs> I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's crazy to see where England have got to. I think it's one win in their last 17 tests. And, you know, just a little over a year ago, they'd gone, they had a pretty decent 2020. Yeah. They won in South Africa. They beat West Indies and Pakistan at home. Um, then they, obviously beat Sri Lanka 2-0, won the first mm-hmm. test in India, and mm-hmm. suddenly it was like, whoa. I think I read something about how 
Joe Root's like the smartest guy in the room. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's 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 batting better than ever. Nailed captaincy. They're all they're all loving him. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. I mean, it's just the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the batting struggles. They can't they can't sort it out. And then they do the weird thing where they drop Broad and Anderson. And <laughs> oh, I, guess, I don't know. It's just they they're they're, const- they're, they're they're just trying to they're trying everything basically. Yeah. Out. And I think eventually we'll come to well, let's try a new captain. I think that's I think that that seems like it's I don't know. But I mean if like surely after one win in seventeen you have to ask questions about the captain. Have to. Yeah. You know, if it was up to me, I think we'd, I'd give it to Bearstow because it'd just be funny. Uh, I want to see him captain. He's just an interesting dude. I think it'd just be funny watching him captain. Yeah, personally, he's he, he one of the he's one of the, the the positives of the last few months. I guess he's come back. He's kind of shown that there's still somewhat there. I mean, uh, a few months ago, if you'd asked me about Johnny Bearstow, I would have thought, uh, like, he's had plenty of opportunities with the gloves, mm. without the gloves. I think it's time to look at some younger options and give them more of a chance. But to come in in the Ashes, score that hundred, score another hundred in the Caribbean, like fair play to him. I think that's like that's really admirable. That's the other question. Wicket keeping, <laughs> we won't get into that. That's another yeah, yeah. confusing. No, 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 no. It's too many. Yeah. Uh, one last question before I let you leave. Um, you know, I think you were talking about like all the different theories. Uh, one of them has to do with uh, theories about how to fix English cricket and what's wrong. And uh, that has, I think, parallels with the uh, some of the discussions that are ha- happening in Pakistan as well. And that has to do with, you know, taking the large number of domestic teams and making them smaller to make them more competitive and similar to Australia. Pakistan's done that already, just like completely, just, it's like, you know, drop in pitches. This is like a drop in structure, you know, just like drop in the Australian structure onto Pakistan overnight. I'm ridiculous i think but either way um that's what's happening in pakistan in england there's similar conversations right like a lot of people i think butch um from what i remember has been a proponent of having uh, a, sm- a smaller number of teams play against each other so you have like the best elite players playing against each other more regularly is that what's what are the conversations like in england in that regard and uh, where do you stand on that yeah i mean english cricket is i think constantly going through like an existential crisis about what its structure should look like uh, and it's, oh man, I find it, you know, we constantly talk about, oh, how many divisions sh- should there be? And, you know, how, how should the, the calendar work in the summer and you've got full competitions and how you're trying to fit it. Uh, honestly, it's infuriating. <laughs> I, I don't know the answers. Uh, the, the, the conversations that, that constantly crop up in English cricket about what the domestic calendar should look like and, and what the division should look like and and what English cricket priorities are and what the ECB should do and what the county should do. Um, there are a lot of wiser voices out there who I think uh, could probably explain it better than me. But um, This I'm, is the other, this is the second question you've uh, sat on the fence. I'm just putting that out. I'm just putting that out. Um, this time I caught it straight away. Yeah, uh, you like didn't said, to... I, I, I knew that you were on to me quite early. <laughs> All right, Tahat, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, no, I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers, Tahat. Bye-bye. Cheers, Sammy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dikobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you'd like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.